All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation, and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. This episode is part of a series where I interview experts on various areas around mental health. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help now, call 000 Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 anytime for support and advice. As we continue our mental health series, I more and more am becoming aware of the fact that to take control of our mental health, we really need to understand what's going on. Today, we are lucky enough to have with us James O'Loughlin with us on the show to talk about this exact topic. James is a author, broadcaster, innovation speaker, and MC, and he is the co-author of a book that has literally just come out called Minding Your Mind. James, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's, um, you know, literally I came across this book. I mean, I've been following your work for a bit because I've, you know, I know you from the, the, the new inventors, ABC, mm. um, ABC show. Um, I've seen you at events speaking. I just, I was at a, just at an event recently hearing you speak and I came across this book that you've literally just launched and it's, it's as if you were in a way reading my mind, um, <laughs> doing this show of just talking to different experts and different counselors. I've just realized more and more to, you know, to, to understand what's to take control of our mental health, we need to know what's actually going on. Could you probably start by giving us a bit of background as to what, you know, why this book and how yeah, this yeah, book sure. came about? So my co-author is Professor Ian Hickey, who's head of the uh, Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney and one of the leading mental health experts and advocates in Australia and has really been a strong voice in the in the national conversation we've had about mental health over the last uh, 20 years since he was the first CEO of of Beyond Blue. And I used to have Ian on a lot when I was doing radio programs because I've always been really interested in the mind and how it worked and he was great explaining it and knew everything about it. Um, and a couple of years ago we started doing a podcast called Minding Your Mind about topics as, as as varied as and, and we wanted to, to be about the mind and how it works and we'd pick topics as diverse as we did one about anger we did one about obsessive compulsive disorder we did one about the importance of having some autonomy in your life and we just wanted to arm people with the information they needed to know more about their mind, how it works and how to maintain and improve their mental health. Then we turned the podcast into a book and and that's what's come out. And we're, we're hoping, I mean, there's a lot of diverse topics in it. It's, it's in three sections. The first section, trying to explain how our mind works. The se- second, about what to do when something goes wrong, which covers a lot of the common mental health conditions and mental illnesses, and the third about improving our mental health. And I think one of the most important takeouts from my journey to kind of understand more about all this is that when I was a kid, I reckon I used to think mental health was a switch 
That is, you were either fine or you were insane and you lived in an asylum. That's all there was, just this big switch and you hope it never switched. Of course, now we know mental health, like our physical health, is a spectrum and one day you might be at an eight and the next day a seven and a half and the next day an eight and a half, just like with our physical health, it makes sense to monitor how we're going at all times and just like our physical health, there's really clear accessible things we can all do to get ourselves from a seven and a half to an eight in terms of our mental health. Yeah, because I, it, you've literally half answered part of my question because I was about to I was about to ask you the most open-ended question you've probably ever received about this topic, but how do our minds work? Like it's like, I know it's, it's, there's so many different facets of it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, I traditionally always used to be, I always used to hear that mental health is one of those things. It's a, you know, it's a chemical imbalance and it's something that, you know, only some people have, but then over the years, especially as an advisor talking to clients, I've noticed more and more, it's just become so much more common. So you're right. It's not just a switch. It's like this spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and most people will, I mean, everyone's been anxious everyone's felt down and it's kind of a a very fine line between when feeling anxious becomes goes from something that's pretty normal i'm anxious about an exam coming up i'm anxious because i've got a lot of work and so i need to be anxious to motivate me to get it all done when it changes from that to something that is a little bit abnormal well i'm getting really anxious about this but actually I kind of know nothing bad's going to happen. So what's going on? Or when you're feeling sad and down for a little while, you know, if someone you know has died, that's normal. If it persists for a long time, though, at what point does that start becoming something that's getting close to depression, which is a very common, probably the most common uh, mental health issue and and one where getting some treatment might assist. So definitely the spectrum. How do our minds work? Uh, I I guess in the book, we deliberately really haven't haven't got into the deep chemistry of it all. We wanted to make it very accessible and practical for everyone. But essentially, our minds are created by two things, our genes and our environment. That is, Everything you are was either caused by the genes you inherited from your parents or the environment you grew up in. There is no third source. And so if you say to someone, I'm a bit shy, is that my genes or my environment? The answer is almost always a bit of both. The exact proportions of of which, how much of shyness did I inherit, how much of it is kind of caused by the circumstances of of my growing up is very hard to quantify, but pretty much the every the answer to everything, from you know um, a susceptibility to to an illness to uh, to a physical illness to to some sort of mental illness to just character traits that we have is bit of environment, bit of genes. Wow. So so genes or environment? Because in your book you do talk about um, social connection and why that's so important and. Social connection, yeah, social connection is a wonderful way to maintain mental health. So Ian, Professor Ian Hickey, who I co-wrote the book with, reckons there are two great pillars of good mental health, two things everyone should have to, to increase the chances that their mental health will consistently be good. 
And one is autonomy, that is having some control over what you do in your life. And that's often a big issue at work. And sometimes when we feel our life is ruled by, you know, obligations to kids, spouses, and the bank to whom we owe money, sometimes we feel we don't have much autonomy. So autonomy is one, social connection is the other. We are social animals. And I've kind of gone from thinking of social connection and by social, social connection, we just mean interacting with other people, which for most of human history has been un- unavoidable. We've had to, you know, that's it just happened all the time. Now it is much more avoidable. We can work from home. We can deal with people through a screen or via text message. It's pretty easy actually now to socially withdraw and that is bad for our mental health. So I've kind of changed from thinking about social connection to something that I do if I feel like it. That is, you know, should I go out tonight? I don't really feel like it. Maybe I won't go. I used to think of it like that. Now I think of it like exercise. So with exercise, I think, I don't really feel like exercising, but bugger it, I'm going to do it anyway because I know it's good for me and I might not enjoy the next half hour, but it'll make me feel better for the next 15 hours. It'll make the rest of my day better. And social connection is a bit like that. You might not always want to go to the book club or or to have a drink with your friends or whatever, some work thing on a Thursday night. You might not want to, but actually that social connection is going to be good, even if you don't enjoy it that much. It is good for us. That, that's a good point because uh, I think – Many of us, you know, there are times where there's an event we need to go to or, or we have an appointment of, of some sort and we just, we're just not bothered. We're not bothered being around people mm. and talking to people. But if you think of it that way, it's like, well, no, hold on a second. This is important for my mental health. Just like, you know, you, you look at exercise the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all comes down to understanding the benefit of being around people. And I think it's even just the physical presence of being around others and just interacting with others. And um, and in your book, you talk about self-esteem. And I think that's also a part of it. Like if you are around others, you're able to, as a person, just grow and develop and, and build these things. Yeah, yeah. Another way of looking at it is like insurance. Uh, now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, okay, say things are going well now, you know, you're married, got some kids, really busy. It's really tempting to let your friendships lapse. You know, I've, I've centered on my family now. I've got to, you know, build my career, all that. Very common, particularly for men, actually, for friendships to lapse in our 30s and 40s. Old good friends that we had through school and whatever we did after school. But think about it like insurance. Okay, I might not need them now, but at some point, something bad's going to happen to me. Like something bad happens to all of us pretty much before we, you know, it's sometime in our life. And that's when you need your friends. And if you've let all your friendships go and then something happens when you need them, it is really hard actually to simultaneously build those networks back up and seek support from them, right? It's much easier if you have those friendship networks there, then when something bad happens, you know, they're there. So another way of looking at it is like like insurance. You mentioned self-esteem and self-esteem is really important. And we talk in the book particularly about building self-esteem in in young people, but also with us as adults. And what's really important with self-esteem are two things. And, And one is finding something you're good at. 
And, you know, like with kids, right, if they're, if they're good at drawing and you get them to do lots of drawing and you give them some good feedback for that, then they think, well, I was good at drawing, maybe I'll be good at cricket, even though there is no, <laughs> you know, or maths, even though there's no real correlation between being good at drawing and being good at cricket and maths, but there's just this fact of I tried something, it was kind of hard, and I did okay. So if this other thing's hard, well, maybe if I try try that, I'll be okay as well. That doesn't mean kind of that kind of 20th century thing with parenting where it's just just kind of unvarnished praise for everything. Oh, you know, well done, you ate a cupcake. So that's not that great for self-esteem because kids aren't dumb. They start to think, well, she just praised me for eating a cupcake. So maybe when she said, I was good at drawing. That's kind of, you know, there's a bit of BS on that as well. So praise has to be genuine. But if someone finds something they're good at, gets some positive feedback from the world, it really does have a knock-on effect. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. Yeah, when you think of, when you talk about praise and, and congratulating others, I think about um, uh, toilet training with children. How um, you know you, you get them excited <laughs> over the smallest thing. Um, but but on that point, actually, uh, when it comes to you know as we develop and as we grow, I mean, I've noticed it myself even that you know we because in, in your book you talk about the body clock, and I've noticed it with myself, and I've noticed it with others, mm. but. Things like mental health, like certain mental health, uh, you know, traits like depression and anxiety, they seem to become more obvious as we get older. And I don't know, is it just because maybe we're more aware of it or maybe as people are younger, they're just more positive naturally and they just don't think about these things? Yeah, look, I, I think the stats would show that mental illness is, is you know, pretty prevalent at most age groups, but particularly in the teens, but certainly older people too get it. And I think part of the reason we feel there's more around now than there used to be is just we're more aware of it and we talk about it more and we've got a vocabulary to express it and GPs are are, are better at picking it up and people are a bit more open to accepting they might have a mental health issue than they than they uh, were in the past. You mentioned the body clock, and the, it's really good that you've picked you've been aware of your own because it is one of the again it's another pillar of good mental health and probably the most ignored. So the body clock is just the cycle of kind of chemical releases in our body that is that is in tune with the sun. So we get cortisol and various chemicals pumping through our body as the sun comes up, and that helps us get going. Uh, at night, our body releases melatonin in the early evening that helps us go to sleep. In the early afternoon, there's another drug that comes out that also gets us going. So there's only one animal that has been smart slash dumb enough to invent things that can stuff up their body clock. Like a hamster cannot stuff up its body clock. Sun comes up, it's up, right? It is in tune with its body clock. But we have invented many things to stuff it up. Shift work, uh, uh, Netflix shows you want to binge till two in the morning, international travel. When your body clock is out, you just feel like you're jet lagged all the time. So if you're not in tune with the sun, if you're staying up till two and getting up to 10 or 11, your sleep usually won't be as good and you'll just feel a bit off. And, and 
you know, it's it's obviously a big issue for people who do shift work um, and people have rotating shifts. I kind of know it firsthand because I filled in doing breakfast radio for a couple of weeks and um, on the ABC in Sydney recently and I, I was getting up at four and I felt fine at work. And then I get home at 10 and I would literally just stare at the wall for four hours and I was kind of getting enough sleep so I was going to bed early but my body clock was just off. So it's really important. And in fact, good mental health professionals, they don't just say, how are you feeling? You know, here's a therapist, here's uh, some medication, although all those things are important. They'll ask you about your body clock. Are you sleeping well? Is your body clock out of whack? It's really important. They, They might say you should get up you know, close to when the sun comes up, uh, maybe seven o'clock or eight o'clock at least, and 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 move. Right, get into the sun and move. They're the two most important things you can do when you wake up to get your body clock going. Walk around the block and and stand in the sun. Don't put the kettle on and slump in front of breakfast TV. Such a practical thing, but a lot yeah. like what you said, it make it would make such a big difference because it. I can just just like anything. If you start if you start things off on the wrong foot, like your day, um, it just has that. You know, it's it's hard to sort of claw back. Yeah. To the you know to the green essentially. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and one of actually, you've brought up a good point as well when it comes to you know looking after ourselves and you know in in that and the lifestyle that we have these days, because there's in your book one of the one of the chapters that I wanted to jump straight to, and this is for me, this is a big one, is burnout. Because, mm. you know, for me, like I'm a very busy person and sometimes I'm very conscious of burnout, don't get me wrong, but um, I do find myself sometimes caught in that trap where I've, I don't even realize it's happened, but I've almost burnt myself out. And, and unfortunately, many people probably don't even are at that point and they don't even realize. So if they're listening to this, what are some signs of burnout? And if you can just maybe give a couple of yeah, practical yeah, sure. tips because it's it's hard, especially when you love your work or you love what you do. Exactly. Well, well, I, I mean, one of the things I love that you keep saying, Michael, is that you're aware of things, and that the most, you know, one of the most important things of maintaining good mental health is just being aware of it. Like I've got a sore knee at the moment, and I'm aware of it, and that's good because it might prompt me to go to the doctor and get it fixed. So, being aware of these things, like your body clock, and like the signs of burnout. Um, are really good. The earlier we catch something, that usually the easier it is to treat. So the signs of burnout, and I've experienced a couple of times in my life, just a loss of motivation, a loss of satisfaction from work, kind of a feeling it's a bit meaningless, feeling that things that you often enjoy just seems like this, every task feels like a mountain you've got to climb being a bit cynical, a bit detached. What does it matter anyway? Just feeling tired. So that can sometimes mean you just need a holiday and you have a week off, go to the beach, come back and everything's fine. It could just mean you're tired, right? But if you do that and you come back and it all starts again pretty quickly, then that's that probably means there's some degree of burnout. Now, what does what does how do we treat that? So the most important thing is to Go and see someone about it. Talk to a, a counsellor, a mental health professional, even a friend, and, and be honest about how you're feeling and get to the bottom of it. So for some people, burnout is a sign that you need a change. You know, Ian talks about surgeons who've uh, who, who've had it, who've got this, you know, 
high status job where they're treated like God, where they do something very important and they're just over it because they've been doing it for 20 years. And our mind enjoys novelty. Our mind enjoys learning new things. And sometimes if you're not giving it enough novelty, if you're doing the same old thing, the same old thing, it'll react by saying I've had enough of that. So the two times I've had burnout in my life, once I worked out what was going on, I made some changes and I'm really kind of glad that I had the experience because the changes I made made my life better. Now, if you are in that position, you think, I, I am a bit burned out by this. It would be good to get a change. But change is scary and daunting, right? And particularly if you've got financial obligations, um, it, it can seem really difficult. So, but but what I would say is don't let that shut the door on it. Like you might say, okay, you know, if I'm a financial uh, a financial advisor, I can't just shut my practice and grow, go off and grow blueberries somewhere. That's, and I'm, I don't even know if I'd enjoy that. But start thinking about: is there some long term transition I want to make? You know, do I want to become a school teacher? If I do, can I study part time and 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 you know look at making this transition over the next couple of years? Um, are my financial obligations going to ease off in a couple of years? And just start thinking creatively if you feel that the burnout might be something that means it's time to change jobs. What can you do? Like Ian says, you know, surgeons often stay in the medical profession, but they go and become hospital administrators or or lecturers, uh, you know, teachers. So can you move sideways somewhere? Um, and of course, if it really persists, you shouldn't just think it's about that. It, you know, burnout can become depression and anxiety. So again, get it early, talk to someone, work out what's going on. No, I, I love that. I love the concept of, of taking a step, you know, and doing something yeah. different. Because sometimes, let's say, for example, it's a, you know, you need to get back to uni for three years to be able to change careers. Even the fact that you're working on it can sometimes improve yeah, positivity. Exactly. Like you just oh, look, look, and the other thing I forgot to, to mention is is put something in your diary every day if you feel like you're suffering a bit of burnout that you enjoy that you really enjoy? Is it a work-related thing? Is it something after work? Is it instead of going straight from work to the bus or the train, walking through the park and going to a, a bus stop, you know, a little bit further away, but put something in your diary every day that you enjoy. We are really, uh, uh, as humans, we're, we often postpone pleasure. We often put it down as the least important thing. Whereas it's one of the most important things just for itself, for having a good time, but also for maintaining good mental health. Definitely. And and also um, when it comes to um, improving mental health, um, I mean, you've literally got like, you've mentioned so many practical points already. Um, and there's literally eight chapters on this whole point. So I don't expect you to, to go through them all. But what would you say, apart from the ones that you've mentioned, would say would be your top two or three habits or tricks or, or things to do? when it comes to improving mental health? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And, and look, I'd emphasize before I give you mine that what's really important is gaining some knowledge about all the various strategies there are out there for improving your mental health and finding the ones that work for you. So let me give you a quick example. Anxiety, I sometimes get anxious about things. Now, one strategy is combating anxious thoughts 
with more rational thoughts, right? So uh, if I don't satisfy this client, my my business will go downhill. And you think, well, I've had many clients before. They've all been, most of them have been satisfied. Sometimes people aren't, but my business still goes on. So that strategy is a good one for some people. Doesn't work at all for me. Makes things worse because I just keep, start having these long arguments back and forth uh, between the anxious and the rational part of my brain and I can't stop thinking about it. What does work for me is distracting myself and thinking there's that anxious thought. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not going to give it any attention. And if I keep doing that, it's not easy to do that. If you've got an anxious thought, you want to think about it. But if I can discipline myself to just float off somewhere else, soon it'll wither up and die because it won't have any food because anxious thoughts thrive on attention. So my point is you find the strategies that work for you. Not every strategy works for every person. So for me, maintaining good mental health is definitely exercise. I do exercise every day and that's a really important part for me. It's not it's having interesting work, but having a degree of autonomy. So I write novels. I've had a novel come out this year as well called Criminals, by the way, just a quick plug. And you know, I mentioned early about autonomy. I have total autonomy when I'm writing a novel. No one can tell me what to do. They can tell me they're not going to publish it, but they can't, you know, I'm alone for the year that I'm writing a novel with no other input and I have total autonomy. Now, for some people that might be woodwork, for some people it might be tinkering with their car, but for me having something where I'm autonomous is is uh, really good. Having meaningful work is important, finding something that you think of is meaningful and and also having good time with people you care about. So whether it be your family or your friends, they're all important things for me and not drinking too much and taking it. I'm kind of lucky because I would eat steak every night, but uh, my wife my wife is a semi-vegetarian and two of my daughters are vegetarians. And whilst we have a bit of chicken and fish, we don't have much red meat. And because they're vegetarians, they eat really, really healthily. So that's really benefited me, although I still miss <laughs> steak. Um, so taking care of your diet and your and your sleep. It's important to remember we're not a, bo- a body and a mind, two separate things. Each affects the other. And and the the points that you've mentioned in the I guess even like exercise, food, mm. autonomy. You know, th- these are things that I feel like over time that have probably been lost as well. If you think about it, like I mean, I'll, I haven't been on this planet for you know for more than. <laughs> 30 or 40 years. Um, but, you know, just looking at history books, looking at the way people were, you know, 50 years ago, there was more exercise because to go somewhere you had to walk. Food generally, I'm assuming, was healthier because there was less preservatives or there was less, we had less, there was less access to to, to meat back then even, you know, so. Less chips I'm, too. Less chips, yeah. There wasn't yeah. Because you know, but, um, well, yes. I mean, there's two sides of that. The points you make are very good ones. It was definitely a lot of, lot more incremental exercise. I still think it's weird when I walk past a gym and see, you know, on a nice sunny day and see people running on a treadmill. You know, I just think that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, good on you for going for a run, but you know, outside's good. Um, <laughs> so there's definitely less necessary incremental exercise because we don't have to carry water from the stream and all those other things. In terms of diet, there's pros and cons. Like, you know, we can I can walk a hundred meters to the corner shop and get fresh fruit and veggies, whereas, you know, sometimes there's a lot less people a lot a lot smaller proportion of the world living, you know, without 
without enough food and below the poverty line than they're used to used to so there you know have been some pluses but certainly it's much easier for us to be socially isolated these days as as you mentioned earlier and and also and on that note as well James if anybody wanted to get in contact uh, with yourself or to get a copy of the book um what would you say would be the best way for them to do that oh uh well the book's available at all good and bad bookstores, um, or at you know Amazon, Booktopia. The podcast is on, um, also called Minding Your Mind, is on all the platforms. Um, so Google it up, or even better, walk to the bookstore. There isn't a podcast store you can walk to. Walk to is there? But you can download the po- podcast and feel, you know, doubly virtuous that you're listening to something that will help you improve your mind, and also going for a walk while you do it. We've got we're nearly up to ninety episodes now, so there's, you know, if you scroll through the topics, it's pretty likely you'll find a few that are of interest. Yeah, nice. And and also, um, what I'll do is I'll put a copy, a link to um, the book. And the podcast, actually, um, in the description of this episode as well. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Michael. And uh, and lastly, James, I like to finish all my episodes off with a dad joke. Um, it's been a tradition <laughs> since day one, so it's Good. it's still going. Um, but why do seagulls fly over the sea? Why do seagulls fly over the sea? Uh, well, well, if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. <laughs> That's very good. I like it. My son gave me that one. It's actually funny. Ever since he figured out that I'm doing dad jokes, he always comes home from school with different dad jokes. Like, oh, you got to say this one. I'm like, okay, no worries. Nice. I'm going to tell it to my kids and hopefully they'll laugh, but they might groan, not because of the quality of the joke, but just because I was the one who told it. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, James. Um, I really appreciate it. And again, just, I mean, I've learned a lot just from talking to you and uh, I'm really hoping that those listening to this will also get something out of today's episode and check out the book because it seems so practical it seems so simple um and i think it's in a way i think it's literally what the doctor ordered thanks so much michael thank you thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases and feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.